You better watch out. You might actually start to believe what you're singing. And God just might change your life. We have been given this incredible invitation to the goodness of God. And, and we've so cheapened it sometimes. Um, man, we're not going to do that. Um, the message today that, that I'm going to share, uh, I shared in the first service, I could have called it a lot of different things. Um, now I could call it like the invitation to the goodness of God. I mean, it's just like the titles are unending. Oh, man. Hmm. And I think it's, it's, it's a song we sing, but it's also a question to be answered of, do you believe God is good? Um, it kind of has to start there. And I tell you, that's why I shared the message I did on Easter, to talk about, can God be trusted? Because we, we first need to land on the fact that he is good, that he's love, that he's, he's holy, he's pure. And if, and if we understand God is good and he can be trusted, then why do we hold back? Um, but I'm going to push you a little bit. I'm going to push you a little bit today. And say, let's, let's, man, let's go deeper. Um, let's keep going after the, the journey we have with Jesus. The title, I, I could have used Live Like It Matters. I shared a series on that early on in our time here. I actually started with that. I, I could call this message that. I, I could call it uh, uh, Don't Waste Your Life. That would be a good one. Um, people are laughing. Because I mean, the reality is, if we're not going after the things of God, we're kind of wasting our lives. I could call it all kinds of things. Experience the Extraordinary, I shared a two-part series on that. This is kind of a continuation of that. It really is. It's, these are actually the messages I was going to share for Experience the Extraordinary. I was going to do those and then the others, but um, God led me to go ahead and jump right on that in January, start the year that way. But now we're in the scriptural basis for what I was talking about with that series. Um, I could title it Live uh, the Life You've Always Wanted. Uh, it's a book title, but it, it applies as well. It's like we have all of these things that we can enter in in Jesus, but we hold ourselves back. But my challenge to you today is don't. Journey with Jesus. Allow him to do it. So last Sunday, I shared a message, Journey with Jesus. And, and so this could be part two. And, and I shared last week this mission that we have in the church. And this is the mission we are trying to lead you on. I'll tell you that. I, I firmly believe the mission of the church, that why they have overseers in the church, we exist to help you live and look like Jesus. So that's what we want to do. And so we're orienting everything around that. And so I shared last week this mission of, of what it looks like when we follow Jesus. When we look at the New Testament, here's what the disciples did. They found a place of belonging in Jesus. That's where they started. And they found this place of belonging with Jesus. They were journeying with him. And then the scripture we're going to read today is then Jesus asks, and who do people say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ of God. Uh, and that's a question we need to answer this morning. Jesus is asking who do you say that I am? And if we believe he's the son of God, if we believe that he's good, we should live different. So we come to a place of belonging, so we can come to a place of believing in him, and then we become like Jesus. Jesus was a mentor, his disciples were mentees, and he said, I want you to become like me, and then last week we saw he sent them out so that they could bring the kingdom of God to other places. So that's what he was going after. That the way of Jesus, the way we journey with him is we don't miss any part of this. That we belong so that we can believe and then we become like him so we can bring others in the same. So the question for you this morning is where do you find yourselves today? Have you found a place of belonging here? If not, jump in the next step class next week. It's a great place to start to learn how do I dive in deeper in community. Do you believe in who Jesus is? If, if not, will you make that decision today to say, Jesus, I want to put my all in you. I, I believe you're the son of God. Are you becoming like him? 
And the mentoring process we're launching in September is, is how we want to equip you to become like Jesus so that you can bring others in the same. And as you walk through that cycle, you will experience the extraordinary. You will, because Jesus said it. He said, you will do greater things. You will have an abundant life. But I think we've cut ourselves short because we just don't journey all the way around that cycle. So that's the first part. That's what I shared last week. But today, what I want to get into is there's actually two parts. We have to journey with Jesus, but we also need to change our scorecard, change our scorecard. And so that's what I titled today's message, because here's what I'm convinced of. If you journey with Jesus and you change your scorecard, you will live a life that matters. As you journey with Jesus and you change your scorecard, you won't waste your life. As you journey with Jesus and you change your scorecard, you'll experience the extraordinary. Again, last week I had shared in the introduction, I I said it's not that I think people don't want to live extraordinary lives, or it's not that they're not trying, I just think they haven't been shown a reliable pattern. So that's that's my goal. That's what we want to do. We want to say, this is what that looks like, and you're invited. And I hope that you're a part. Um, so what I, I'd like to ask you this morning, kind of as a way of introduction, is, is to understand change your scorecard. You first need to understand what is the scorecard the world tells us to go after. And I'm sure you've got some thoughts or ideas, and I need answers. So that means this morning you need to talk back. Can you do that this morning? So give me some answers. All right, I already got some yeses. So what does the world tell you that we should be living our life for? What are some things? Money, money sure. The pursuit of money, Yep. Success, fame, absolutely. Somebody said something here? Feelings. Feelings, yeah. That we should, we need to pursue things in a way that we always feel good about ourselves or feel good in life. Yeah, other things? Power, Power, absolutely. You know, you want to be the person on top. Yep, what else? Approval, yes. Go after it yourself. In other words, you are your own God. That's secular society. That's the definition right there. Anything else that we're we're told to go after? Prestige. Anything else? Material, sure. Um, uh, houses, cars, so yeah, material goods, absolutely. So those are all things the world says, this is the scorecard, this is what you chase after. But what Jesus says is, this is the scorecard, if you go after this, I'll take care of the rest. And so that's what I want to get into today as we uh, continue our series in Luke. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 9, so if you have your Bibles, hey, I hope you have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you today, uh, we've got Bibles underneath the chair in front of you, you're welcome to one of those. We want everyone to have access to God's Word. It's important. It's life-changing. And so I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word today. Luke chapter 9. We're going to be in verses 18 through 27. And here's what I would put before you today. Here's the truth. That we can experience the extraordinary as we change our scorecard and as we journey with Jesus together. That's the truth. And when we sit back down, I may have it repeated so you can write it down. If you can grab a hold of that, your life will be different. We can experience, you can experience extraordinary as you change your scorecard and as you journey with Jesus with others. That's required. So that is what I would uh, assert is the process. So if you want to know what the pattern is, how do you live an extraordinary life? It's that. You change your scorecard, you journey with Jesus with others. All right, so Luke chapter 9, verse 18. says, now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, 
Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. These are the words of God. May be seated this morning. I had shared a, a couple of weeks ago that Jesus' first message that he opens with this line, you find it in Matthew chapter 4, he says, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Repent. And we kind of have our own definition of what repenting looks like, maybe like coming to the altar or something. But, but when you look at the, the Greek word behind repent, it actually means change your mind. So change your mind, the kingdom of God is near. Basically change your mindsets, the kingdom of God is coming so you can't live for this world. Change your mind. So change your scorecard. That's why it's titled Change Your Scorecard today. Change your scorecard. The kingdom of God is near. So you've got to live different. Your life is going to look different. I'm going to put values in you that, that aren't necessarily values this world would, would grab a hold of. So that's where we start. And so then the question is this morning, how do we step into the extraordinary by changing our scorecard? And here's how that happens. By changing your scorecard, here's what you find. You find heavenly glory is greater than earthly glory. As you change your scorecard, you'll find heavenly glory is better than earthly glory. And this is what Jesus is trying to help the disciples with. So Peter says, you are the Christ of God. Christ comes from the Greek word Christos. Christos means Messiah. So what Peter is saying is, is Jesus, you are the Messiah of God. And, and the challenge was in first century the disciples understood the Messiah to be someone who was a triumphant figure, someone who was going to come in, establish an earthly kingdom. And so the disciples' mindset is, is if he's the Messiah of God, we're going to ride on his curtails of power and prestige. Doesn't that sound a lot like the scorecard the, the world tells us to work toward? So what Jesus is saying, he says, basically, I know what your mindset is, but I'm going to take you on a journey so I can show you who the Messiah really is. So he's leading them. And I would say that we fall in that same category. I know that there are people who have made a decision to follow Jesus simply to say, Jesus, I want to add you to my life and I want you to bless everything that I'm doing. That's an improper view of who Jesus is as the Messiah of God. And so he's trying to help all of us. That's why we journey with Jesus. You know, why doesn't Jesus just show all of who he is all at once? Next week, we're going to share a message on the transfiguration. And in that passage, Jesus and all his brilliance is there. A cloud comes in. God the Father speaks. And the disciples are afraid. I don't think we could handle all of Jesus all at the same time. So I think that's part of it. I think he's revealing himself in a way that we can grab a hold of it. I also think, too, you know, Jesus wants a relationship with you. If we got all of Jesus all at the same time, I don't know if we'd be very dependent upon him. I don't know what kind of relationship we'd have with him. Jesus is revealing himself ever in an ever-unfolding way because he wants you to journey with him. That's a part of the process. And what Jesus tells the disciples as he's revealing himself, as he's unfolding his nature, here's what he says. So Peter says, you are the Christ of God, you're the Messiah of God. And then Jesus says, now don't tell anybody because I know what they think about the Messiah too and I need to help you understand first and then you can tell people about me. Because here's what he says the Messiah has come for. The Son of Man must suffer many things, 
and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Jesus has just redefined what Messiah means. And the disciples are going to look at and figure out what that really means. So we're on this journey with Jesus. What he's trying to do is he's trying to help the disciples understand heavenly glory is better than earthly glory. Uh, I shared an illustration twice. I'm going to share it a third time, hoping it sticks this time. They keep hiding this rope for me, but I find it. And so I dig it back out. Some of you know what this is. Some of you are no idea. Um, That's why we're sharing it again. Here's what I'm talking about here. So if this is the measure of our life, so does it ever end? No, it goes out that door. We've got to tie it off to a car out in the parking lot somewhere. No, so what I'm saying is this is our life here on earth. But how much more do we have to live? A little bit? I mean, who can fathom eternity? We can't fathom eternity. So what Jesus is telling the disciples, he's, he's saying, look, you're hoping I set up my kingdom here, but I want you to understand I have set up my kingdom here and you're invited to it. So what he's saying is instead of just hoping I establish things here, I want you to understand it's so much bigger than that. There's so much more that you have access to and I want you to be, I want you to understand you're invited to that kind of life. In other words, what he's saying is disciples live in light of eternity. Live in light of eternity. Because when you live in light of eternity, your scorecard will change because the things of this life, are they important? Sure. But it will redefine what your scorecard is in the way that you live your life. This is what he's trying to help the disciples understand. I don't think he used a rope because it's never mentioned. That's just what I've used because I like that illustration. So this is what Jesus is talking about. So I put before you today, are you investing only... I'm going to keep coming back to it. I should just hold on to it, stick it in my pocket. Are you investing only in this part of your life or are you investing here? Where are you investing your resources, your time, your talent, your energy? Are you investing those in a way that it makes a difference for eternity or are you only investing those things in here? Are you living in light of eternity or are you living just for this life? We're invited to so much more in the kingdom of God. So I challenge you this morning, live in light of eternity. There's so much more to come, so much more fullness that we have access to. And I want you to live like that. So kingdom glory, uh, heavenly glory is greater than earthly glory. But also as we change our scorecard, here's what else we find. We find that living for Jesus is better than living for ourselves. Living for Jesus, it's better than living for ourselves. Uh, The phrase take up your cross, it's, it's kind of a common one in the church. And it comes from this passage and others in the gospels where Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, so you've been invited to follow me. And so if you come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. The question is, you know, we have the privilege of knowing the end of the story. The disciples did not. If you think about where they're at in this process, again, so Jesus is now redefining who the Messiah is. Now he's starting to talk about suffering and death and crosses. This doesn't make sense. But he's basically using what was a symbol for death to help the disciples understand, you've got to die to this scorecard. You've got to start living for a different one. Paul in 1 Corinthians, the phrase he uses is he says, I die daily. I die daily to this scorecard. I'm living for a different card. That's why he says that to live is Christ. So in this life, I'm living for Jesus in light of eternity because to die is to gain because that's forever with him. This is what New Testament is. This is what Jesus is trying to help the disciples understand. And so then the question is, well, how do you define this? And the best way to interpret scripture is through scripture. So Jesus explains here. Here's what he says. For whoever would save his life will lose it. 
I'm going to come back to this. Whoever lives just for this life will lose it for eternity. But whoever loses his life in this life and says, you know what? Living for this life alone is not my priority. I'm going to live in light of eternity. Those who live with that mindset, they gain it. It says, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Doesn't that sound a lot like this? This is what we're talking about here. So then the question is, what is this scorecard? If we're just living for the scorecard the world has to offer, in other words, what we would pursue, what does that look like? If we could share uh, the next slide. Here are some things that we listed. Some of those things are, are things that you mentioned this morning. And here's what I want to mention here. None of these things are evil or bad in and of themselves. But I will say this, if that's your target, that's all that you're pursuing, then that's not going to lead you to extraordinary living. So for example, the one on there, fame. Why do you think we have a heart to be known? Who gives us that? God does. God gives us a heart to say, you are meant to be known in my name. You're a child of God. So a lot of these things that we pursue are things that God put in our heart, but he means for them to be fulfilled in him. That's what he means. And I'll say this, if your goal is this, and this is all you're chasing after, then you're going to miss out on extraordinary living. So often, I've heard people say, you know, well, there's a cost to following Jesus. And I would uh, like to tell you that there's a cost to not following Jesus. As a pastor, I see it far more than I would like. There is a cost to not following Jesus. There's a cost of non-discipleship. We're going to get to a passage in a little while on the cost of discipleship. But I want to share with you this morning a couple of thoughts on the cost of non-discipleship. Here's some things that it will cost you to not follow Jesus. Non-discipleship costs abiding peace. You can't have lasting peace in your life without Jesus in your life. I don't know how many people I've talked to, and I've shared before that the sign, can you put this sign on your door, that behind this door lives the happiest family on earth. You know, the only way that you could live that way is if you really are abiding in Jesus. That's an important thing. So you miss out on abiding peace. Here's another thing. If you don't follow Jesus, you won't have a life penetrated throughout by love. I was listening to a message uh, this last week by Erwin McManus, All for Love. It was his Easter message. He made a statement in there that was so good. He said, it's insanity to chase after love and run away from God. You're not going to find it. You will not find. God is is the only one who has perfect love for us. So if you're looking for love, you've got to look for it in God. Non-discipleship costs a faith that sees everything in light of God's overriding governance for good. In other words, if you're not following God and trouble comes your way, you don't know how to process that. Uh, One that's linked to that. Non-discipleship costs hopefulness that stands firm in the most discouraging of circumstances. You can't stand firm in life with Jesus not as your foundation. He says it. He says, if you build your life upon the rock... You'll stand firm. Basically, he's saying, in this life, you will face storms. And so upon what foundation have you built it? Have you built it on chasing these things, or have you built it on me? Non-discipleship costs the power to do what's right and withstand the forces of evil. You can't hope to not live a good life without the power of Jesus in your life. Here's, in short, what it means. Non-discipleship, it costs exactly the abundance of life that Jesus came to promise. The question you don't need to ask this morning, you know, we would ask the question, what is, what is it going to cost me to follow Jesus? That's not the right question. The question you need to ask is, what is it going to cost you to not follow Jesus? Because it's going to cost you too. And I'll tell you what it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you living an extraordinary life, to live a life that matters. So what does it then cost? Because there is, there is a cost to following Jesus. And the cost is you're living for a different scorecard. And here's the scorecard, very simple. Jesus, for me, 
and Jesus for others. That's the scorecard. Jesus for me and Jesus for others. So what does it cost you then? What it costs you is you, if you look back on that other slide, okay, so you're saying we're going to buy a home for our family. And so no longer is it, okay, this home, this home, this meets all of our family needs. That's awesome. Let's buy it. No. Now you've got to include God in that conversation. You're going to buy that home and say, how can this home help increase Jesus in our family? And how can it help me make a difference in that neighborhood? You start to look at everything through a very different lens. Jesus for me, Jesus for others. You don't start looking after for your kids. Every activity or lesson they can jump into. How busy can I make my life? That's not what you're going after. That's not the pursuit. Because the goal is now, how can I have time to abide in Jesus? And how can I go out in the evenings, walk through my neighborhood, and share Jesus with them too? Do you understand there's a difference? So there's a cost, but honestly not a cost that I would consider too great. And I've lived in the part of the world where the cost for following Jesus was life or death. We lived in the Middle East, and some of those people who made a decision, those former Muslims who made a decision to follow Jesus, their cost was life or death. Are we dealing with that here in this country? Absolutely not. So how can we not say, Jesus, the cost for following you is so much less than the cost of not following you. Why wouldn't I choose to follow Jesus? Jesus for you and Jesus for others. So here's what I put before you today. Could you go home and and make a different scorecard? Stick it on your mirror in your bathroom. Jesus for me, Jesus for others. Here's what Paul is talking about. When he writes in Galatians, this is a great verse that kind of speaks to this. Here's what he says. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What Paul is saying is, because of the cross, I no longer live for this world, I live for eternity, and so I no longer aim for this scorecard, I'm living for a different one. Jesus for me and Jesus for others. So maybe invite your kids into this conversation. Help, have them make a poster, stick it on your fridge. May those be the conversations in your home. When you wake up in the morning and have conversations with your kids, could you start asking the question, okay guys, how are we doing Jesus for me today? Are we going to take time to read the Bible and pray? That's Jesus for me, abide in him. Am I going to make decisions on Jesus for others today? That when I go to the lunch table, tell my kids, when you go to the lunch table, are you going to find somebody that maybe doesn't have somebody else to talk to? Jesus for others. You live a different life. And I'll tell you this, you enter into an extraordinary life when you start to live with Jesus for me and Jesus for others as your scorecard. Last point this morning in changing your scorecard, what does it do? What you find is embracing the way of Jesus is far better than being ashamed of him embracing the way of Jesus. Here's what you find. You change your scorecard. Embracing him is far better than being ashamed of him and his words. Because here's what Jesus says in the last part of this passage from this morning. He says, forever is ashamed of me and of my words. Of him will the son of man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the father and of the holy angels. So what does it mean to be ashamed of Jesus? Again, Jesus defines it, ashamed of me and my words. So if you're not ashamed of Jesus, you live out the words of Jesus. You live it out. And as you begin to live that out, you actually look very different than the world around you. Uh, you, you begin to look almost peculiar is a word that you can find in the, in the King James Version. And there's an interesting document written in AD 120, between AD 120 and 200, early Christians living in the Roman Empire, people in the Roman Empire started spreading rumors about Christians and who they were. And so then an early Christian wrote a document to say, this is who we are as Christians. And I love his description. Here's what he wrote. He says, The difference between Christians and the rest of mankind is not a matter of nationality or language or customs. Christians do not live in separate cities of their own, speak any special dialect, nor practice any eccentric way of life. They pass their lives in whatever township, Greek or foreign, each man's lot has determined. 
and conform to ordinary local usage in their clothing, diet, and other habits. So what he's saying is, on the outside looking in, Christians look a lot like everybody else in the community in which they live. But then he goes on. Nevertheless, the organization of their community does exhibit some features that are remarkable, even surprising. For instance, though they are residents at home in their own countries, their behavior there is more like transients. I like that. We're simply passing through, folks. This life is not our own. This place, this home is not our own. Our home is in heaven. Here's what it says. For instance, though they're uh, residents at home in their own countries, their behavior there is more like transients. Though uh, destiny has placed them here in the flesh, they do not live after the flesh. Their days are past on earth, but their citizenship is above in the heavens. That makes you look different. They obey the prescribed laws, but in their own private lives, they transcend the laws. They show love to all men. Hey, that's a big deal in the Roman Empire. Can I tell you? That's a big deal today too. And all men persecute them. They're misunderstood, condemned, and, and yet by suffering death, they're quickened into life. Basically, when they die, then they really get to live is what he's saying. They're poor, yet making, every, making many rich, lacking all things, yet having all things in abundance. What he's saying is these people work lowly jobs. They're making other people rich. But when you look at their lives, it's like they've got a joy and a happiness and abundance that we just don't understand. That's incredible. They repay curses with blessings and abuse with courtesy. For the good they do, they suffer stripes as evildoers. Does those early Christians, does it look like they were living for the right scorecard? Jesus for me, Jesus for others. Doesn't it look like that? We as a church, do we live like that? Maybe in some ways. Maybe we could learn some of those things. We could grow in that ourselves. And what I want to point out as it relates to this letter, this letter was written at a time where the church was being persecuted, but when people began to see how these people lived their lives, Christianity exploded. Here's a graph that I want to show you that points this out. What you'll see is within 300 years, followers of Jesus, because of the way they were living like this, over half of the world's population became followers of Christ. They became Christians. Is that not amazing? Look at this. From 1,000 to 33 million in 300 years. Shame on us. What are we going to accomplish in 300 years? The world should be changed in his name if we're living like him. So what I want to put before you today is if you live and look like Jesus, things here will change. Things in the greater Lafayette community. I was reading an article yesterday in the Indy Star. Uh, do you want to know the fastest growing community in all of the state of Indiana? Right here. West Lafayette, Lafayette. God could do some incredible things here and not only change the landscape of greater Lafayette, but do you think he could change Indiana? Absolutely. So folks, we've got to take these things seriously. God can do incredible things if we live in his name. So may we not be embarrassed of Jesus, but may we embrace the way of Jesus and understand it will change the world. I want to close today by sharing a video of what displays the fruit of when we begin to live this out in our neighborhoods and our workplaces, things change. If we could share that video. I, I firmly believe God is speaking to the church. Let's get, get outside the walls. That you carry a goodness within you that's meant to be shared with others. And so that's why we're orienting all things here to help you live and look like Jesus. Uh, I do encourage you, if you haven't signed up to be part of mentoring, you're invited. Uh, we'll continue to do that year in and year out. So if you feel like I can't do it this year, jump in next year. Uh, but just know our commitment to you is we want to help you find a place of belonging. We want you to believe in Jesus in ever-deepening ways. We want you to become like him so you can bring others in the same. And as that happens, you'll experience an extraordinary life.
Rosaria. It's extraordinary when you get to be a part of somebody's life story like that. I mean, she's now married to a, a pastor in North Carolina, Pastor Kent. Um, what a life change. And all of that happened because someone said, I'm going to live and look like Jesus, invite this person to my home and, and help her look like him. I, I do think it's funny she said I didn't go to church for two years. Uh, in case you don't know, you are the church. So every time she entered into that pastor's home, she went to church. <laughs> um, which, you know, allows you to live out the gospel in incredible ways. Um, two things I want to mention on here. You know, that pastor right away, it's not that we ever hide who we are in Christ. I would say, make that known. Let people know you're a child of God. And then as they begin to look at your life, they'll say there is something different there. So the message there is not, you know, she said, I was so glad he didn't invite me to church or preach the gospel. And it's not that he, he did, basically didn't do it in words. How do you do it? In action, absolutely. And, and again, she entered into that space knowing he's a follower of Christ. Let people know you're a follower of Christ, absolutely. Second thing is sometimes we feel like, but there's such an urgency. There's so many lost people. I need to reach a thousand people a day. But that's not the example of Jesus. Were there not lots of lost people in the day that he was here in the first century? And what was his method? He said, I'm going to invest in 12 people and watch me change the world. In 300 years, more than half the population were Christians. That's the Jesus way. And I've shared this chart before. I'll share it here um, just to reiterate that message. We don't need to to chase after 1,000 people a day. If you invest in five people a year, and those five people are invested into the point where they can invest in five others and five others and five others, what happens in 10 years' time? Is that not incredible? That's how the gospel happens. We've been going after it the wrong way. So our point is, let's chase after Jesus in ever deepening ways and lead others in the same and watch Jesus do what he did in the first 300 years of his message going out. I can't wait for that day. Uh, I'm going to invite the song team to come forward. I'm going to invite you to stand as we close in song. You experience the extraordinary as you change your scorecard and journey with Jesus with others. If you're here this morning, you'd say, you know what? I haven't made that decision to follow after God. I I, I haven't accepted the invitation of Jesus to believe in him, but you'd say this morning, I need to do that. You know, maybe you found a place of belonging. Maybe you haven't yet. You say, you know what? I just need to believe in his name and I'm going to find some belonging and you can. And so if that's where you're at today, with every head bowed in this room, you'd say, I want to put my faith in Jesus today. I want to live an extraordinary life, but I know that happens as I journey with Jesus. And so start that journey today. So if that's you today and you'd say, I want to make that decision to follow Jesus, simply raise your hand. We want to pray with you before we leave. If that's you, just raise your hand and say, that's me. I want a journey with Jesus today. I've never done it before over here on the right. Anybody else? Anybody else that say, that's me today. I need to follow Jesus. I want a journey with him and that journey starts today. God, we just thank you for the way that you continue to impress upon people's hearts and lives the desire that you have for us to live with you, to journey with you for a lifetime. God, I pray that we go after the scorecard of Jesus for me and Jesus for others. And as we do that, I pray that every decision is made in light of that scorecard. And know that as we step into that life, live in light of eternity, we can live an extraordinary life. May we follow after that, God. I pray for the person that raised their hand today. We thank you for the journey they started today. I pray their life be richly blessed and abundant in your name. May they not stop with believing, but may they go after becoming like you. I just pray that we live it full out today, Jesus. And as we sing your goodness, may it be a song that's deep in our heart. And as we live in your goodness, may we share it with others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Pastor Mark, our youth pastor, is going to be here in the front for the person that raised their hand and maybe others that didn't, but say, I need to journey with Jesus starting today. As we sing, come forward out of your seats. Our floor hosts will help to say, we just want to give you a Bible and information on how you follow Jesus for a lifetime. Let's sing about the goodness of God.